Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at luckylandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino style games to choose from, you too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a world. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. For Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcast. Max Verstappen won the Japanese Grand Prix. Max Verstappen is a two-time world champion. There's been nothing normal about this season, and there was nothing normal about today. For those of us that have been up many, many hours, we're recording this uh, on Sunday afternoon. And for some of us, whose official day off is today, looking at you, Alex, very lucky to have you on the podcast, uh, because uh, you've had a more chill day, not doing our coverage. And we're joined by one of our colleagues as well, Erwin Jeggy from our Dutch team. Now, for those that don't know, Autosport is part of Motorsport Network, a bigger organisation. We cover motorsport around the world. And so we're going to come to you first, Erwin. Firstly, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. No worries, my pleasure. Hey, your man is double world champion. What's the atmosphere like at home? Yeah, I think like uh, everywhere else, uh, everybody was pretty confused uh, right after the race. What uh, was uh, the situation exactly? But yeah, amazing. Uh, double time world champion. Uh, I think uh, we didn't expect it at the at start of the race. I think uh, after two laps, it seemed pretty grim and uh, uh, like uh, the race wouldn't uh, continue. But yeah, here we go. Absolutely. And now you've been covering it, obviously covering him from a, a you know a Dutch perspective all year. Tell us about Max Fever, uh, our guys who came over and uh, from Autosport and uh, Motorsport Network and 
covered your, your race this year, said that the you know the atmosphere was incredible. But what's it been like generally covering Max this year, the battle with Ferrari rather than Lewis Hamilton this year? Yeah, it's it's been a pretty different season than we saw last year, of course. And I think because of that, maybe it was less intense. Last year, it went down to the wire. We had lots of incidents between Lewis and Max. Uh, the title was decided in the last race, uh, even in the last lap. So that was, uh, yeah, that was pretty epic, uh, of course. And, and this year, we saw a bigger and bigger difference between Charles and, and Max. Um, after the first couple of races, uh, it seemed pretty obvious that uh, in, around around summer break, uh, it, it was pretty obvious that Max would become world champion at some point. So yeah, a, a very different season, uh, and also um, people. Uh, uh, needed to get up really early today to see it, uh, which is different than uh, having a race on Sunday afternoon when you get together with your friends to watch it rather than getting up really early and just uh, watching it downstairs by yourself, I guess. Absolutely, absolutely. I should mention as well, by the way, I've mentioned Alex. We are joined on the podcast today by uh, by Luke Smith and Alex Kalinorkis. Uh, I'm, you know, it's been a crazy day. I'm all confused. Bad, bad podcast host intro. Uh, we'll come to you guys for questions, actually, to Erwin. Alex, I'll come to you first. Anything you want to ask our Dutch colleague? Yeah, I have a very specific question for Erwin, and I'm afraid it is a slightly flippant one, but Martin, you mentioned Luke and I going to the Dutch Grand Prix um, and the incredible atmosphere at Zandvoort, and basically you've got 99% of the fans there supporting one driver, right? The Supermax song has been stuck in my brain ever since, and I'm actually glad, it's what I, I have to say now, it's one of my favourite songs. So I want to know, what are your, what's your feeling on that song? Do you like it? Is it, is it irritating? What, what, what is the actual reaction to it in its home country? Oh, wow, the Super Max song. Yeah, I remember last year, actually, they were playing it as Max was getting uh, in the car uh, for the Dutch Grand Prix right before the start of the race. And it seemed a bit awkward for him himself to experience that, to have a song dedicated to him playing over the track speakers while he was getting in the car. Uh, would I like it? Um it's not my kind of cup of tea, but my son likes likes it a lot. He knows the lyrics. He's four year old. Unfortunately, it has a, has a swearing word in it, which is pretty bad. <laughs> oh, lots of swearing! Lots of swearing! Yeah, that's a good point. I do. I I like it even more for that. I'll be honest with you. I, I would add on that that that's the second time today I've heard uh, a friend of mine with a young child saying their young child is a big fan of the Super Max song. Um, uh, another friend of mine put in a group chat this morning saying, "Oh, my three year old has just heard Super Max for the first time." And declared it the best song ever so maybe it's something that resonates well with the kids I don't know but it's uh yeah I'm, I mean Owen I guess that sort of from a general sporting perspective what what has Max done for Dutch sports like is there any bigger Dutch superstar in sports right now than Max I know you've got a lot of excellent sort of Dutch footballers and things like that but does anybody get close to Max's sort of um I guess popularity and status right now at this time no I think Max is the the biggest sporting star in the Netherlands right now and even when he came up uh, in Formula 1, when he won his first uh, Grand Prix back then, uh, our national soccer team was doing pretty bad and Max was uh, gaining traction in Formula 1. So right at that moment, Max became very popular and it's been growing ever since really. Um, just last week, the moment when Max became champion in Abu Dhabi was voted the, the most popular TV moment of the past year, of the past 12 months. Uh, five million people were watching it on television. So yeah, that just show, shows how, how popular Max is. Well, does Max 
the same as last year, do something either at a, you know, sort of a big public event or a park or on a stage where loads of his fans can turn turn out maybe after the season or something? Do you know what's planned? I know there was talk about something like that last year, but Max isn't really a person who likes those kind of things. So last year, we didn't saw such a thing. Uh, I th- don't think we'll, so we'll see such a thing this year. He did get decorated by the by the King of the Netherlands right before the Dutch Grand Prix. So there was already something, but I don't th- think there will be like a public event where there will be uh, 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 where, where we see Max uh, um, celebrating with fans or something like that. There wouldn't be any celebration until after Abu Dhabi anyway, because it is in the rules that they have to do the FIA prize giving. Because technically, Red Bull could be thrown out of the entire championship and Max's results are old. So sorry to live relentlessly <laughs> in the real world yeah, no, everything on a day is, of celebration, every, but there is, a, oh my God. as yeah. is Formula One, everything and as we're going to come and talk about, there is a procedure, <laughs> a lot of them hilariously followed, unfollowed today. Everything is provisional until, until he gets the trophy. How do you feel Max's driving has changed over the years? Do you feel he's matured as a driver this year in terms of his driving style uh, and even his talent as well because he was dominant today in Japan. Well, yeah, people, a lot of people say that Max has become more calm this year and more mature. Uh, I guess he's more mature this year because he has uh, another year of experience, but I wouldn't say necessarily he's he's more calmer or he has performed better this year. I just think it was a, a very different season. Last year he was under pressure a whole lot of the time. He had to take a lot of risk to become champion. Uh, he had to drive. Uh, he had to give 110 percent to 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 win the title. And, and this year, it seems to be uh, more comfortable. He, he was able to win race with more ease. I mean, this uh, this race in Japan, he won with uh, almost a half a, a minute advantage. Uh, so that makes things different in the car, I think, as well. Uh, just there's no need to take all the risk, risk and he can can win with uh, driving 100% as well. So, yeah, that makes probably everything seem more calm and controlled. But I don't think necessarily he has been performing better this year than last year. It's just uh, the opposition was uh, a little bit less, I guess. It's interesting you say that, Owen, because it, it's sort of all relative, isn't it? I mean, you could say that, you know, because Christian Horner was saying on TV after this race that winning that first world title last year released a lot of pressure on, on the Max's feeling and things like that. So I think you can, you could say, yes, he, he is calmer and he is making decisions slightly differently, but it's all relative because it's still Max Verstappen. Look at his driving at Silverstone over seventh place against Mick Schumacher. Look at his spectacular rage, which I really enjoyed at Red Bull massively making a mistake and not putting enough fuel in the car in Singapore. But also, look at him at the first corner today. He, he was going to be world champion. He, he was already world champion effectively ahead of this race, right? Charles Leclerc gets a brilliant start and Max just goes, nope, nope. I'm winning this race. This I'm doing it my way. And what a fantastic bit of driving that was ahead of a hell of a lot of more incredible driving from Verstappen today. For me, that really summed up if you're a Max Verstappen fan, right, it must be really enjoyable because he just, even if he's slightly less up to the limit and on the edge compared to last year, he's still incredible. Just just look at what he did in turn one because I honestly thought Leclerc had the lead at that point and, and therefore it would be a completely different race. I, I guess we haven't seen uh, hardly any mistakes of Max this year, really. Um, I mean, um, he lost points at the start of the season because of there were problems with uh, the fuel system in Bahrain and, and again uh, something similar in, in Melbourne in Silverstone uh, he hit some debris uh, and he became seventh with a car that was far from optimum 
Last week he he had that uh, that car that was uh, under fuel for his last run in in Q3. So yeah, I think Max performed amazing. He, I think he won 12 races this year, uh, as opposed to Charles, he won three. So yeah, that's a big difference. Is there a feeling you could be entering a period of time where, a bit like we've had with Lewis Hamilton, you have a home hero properly dominating in Formula One for a very many years. Do you think that's possible or is the competition going to be too stiff? I think Rebel is so strong right now and Max is so strong right now. I think there is a chance indeed that they could dominate next year and maybe the year after that as well. Another great thing for the Netherlands is, of course, that we will have two Dutch guys driving in Formula One next year with Nick de Vries entering as well. So the popularity of Formula One in in Netherlands will will be even more, will even gain more traction. It will be even more bigger next year. Absolutely. 100%. Hey, I know it's a busy day for you and uh, you have some celebrations to do. So we really appreciate you joining us uh, for the first part of the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Okay, let's get into then with Luke and Alex. A good old look at today, how it worked out. Lots to get into on the podcast today and, and how Max was eventually named the world champion this year. This was, of course, a a timed race because of the race running quite late in Japan in terms of daylight hours. So the clock was running from... Uh, pretty early on, so we didn't get a didn't get a full race in, and that was the source of much of the confusion. But we'll you know we'll get on get on to that. Luke, you've been covering uh, today's action for us. Just talk us through broadly how that ended up happening the way it did today with the rain and the stop and the you know and the restart. Yeah. So when a race has started, there's obviously we've got the the, the clock that runs the two hours that you need to get the race um, c- completed in terms of like actual green flag laps. We saw that in Singapore for example saw that in Monaco earlier this year as well but there's also the three hour clock that that covers the whole duration basically so that if you start the race and then it's suspended you've got to get it back completed within that three hour window so that's what that's what happened today so obviously we got the the start as expected on time despite the rain coming down it was a standing start which I think that fans were really really pleased to see we don't want to see these rolling starts behind the safety cars we want to see that that lights out getaway and uh, yeah we had that brilliant move between um Leclerc and Verstappen that Alex touched on and yeah fully echo what Alex said that move by Verstappen to hold the lead was just absolutely out of this world so that was really cool to see but all of the drivers very quickly realised on that opening lap that visibility was very poor and it wasn't very good so that then led to obviously the instance Carlos Sainz going off and, and uh, Pierre Gasly picking up the advertising hoarding and ultimately the red flag so when we have that red flag period that three hour clock is still ticking and it meant that by the time they uh, were able to get back running again, I think they had about 45 minutes or so left on the clock when they went out behind the safety car. I think we got about 39 minutes or so of green flag running, I want to say. But yeah, it added up to a 28-lap race in the end, which is only just over half distance for what we should have got a Suzuka. But I think the overriding feeling from fans was that it's good we got something because we didn't want a repeat of Spa last year where it never resumes and then it ends up being complete washout. But the confusion that I know we're going to get onto lay over how many points are dished out because you would have assumed that if it's a half distance race then it's not going to be full points but no 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 it was full points yes that's what we've been used to over the years change of rules following spa we'll get into that and that's what caused so much confusion amongst uh, tv commentators formula one teams drivers managers uh and and everyone watching it as well to to be fair let's just uh, talk about that performance though which i I thought was 
just stunning. So it was a rolling restart when we finally got back underway. Uh, the safety car peeled off. Max Verstappen, of course, then takes uh, over the lead of the Grand Prix. And from that on, that moment on, Alex, I know that his turn one going around the outside of Leclerc was really special. And people say, you know, oh, yes, but it's the go-kart line. There's more grip, etc. Come on. That was very special to, 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 to find that grip out there. But I think almost, if not more impressive, was what he did after that restart, which was just carve out this constant lead over anyone behind. Leclerc kept up with him to begin with, but then um, shot his tyres, I'm guessing. And Max was just imperious today, Alex. How did you read that post-restart to flag victory for Max today? Up there with his best performances in Formula 1, he's always been noted for his wet weather just sheer, you know, astonishing talent in the wet. Think of all those performances. I know that that, that Brazil 2016, is it 2016? I, I forget, but the, the wet race in Brazil uh, where he put in a stunning performance, slightly undermined by the fact he absolutely dropped it behind uh, at one point coming <laughs> onto the straight, had to put in a massive save, but he was still mega fast around that. He's always been tremendous in the wet, which is why it was so weird when Valtteri Bottas was able to, not a noted wet weather star, was able to drive away from him in Turkey last year. That was more down to Red Bull, the team not getting things right in terms of setup and understanding the tyres. But yeah, here, Suzuka, terrific for Verstappen. Really, really, really impressive. Um, He did get a little bit of assistance in terms of uh, when they all came in to change to the Inters. Uh, The Ferrari was held in its pit box so that Perez could come in for the double stack. So Leclerc lost a a couple of seconds there. So when when they came out of the pits, Leclerc wasn't all over the back of Verstappen as he had been because at at the the rolling restart, it was the two of them just disappeared again. And I'm going to come on to, I've got various things to say about Sergio Perez, but we'll save that for, for another part of the podcast but they were just gone because Perez was nowhere despite the fact that you know it was just just at the restart uh Verstappen's gap is then as I said exaggerated by the fact Leclerc uh, is held in his pit box but it was immaterial it, it, effectively the Ferrari can warm up its tyres quicker so it, as we saw in Singapore that's why Leclerc was able to put uh, Perez under pressure on the slicks and he was doing that he was they were they were in a league of their own on pace Verstappen and Leclerc but because of the extra gap that are coming at the pit stops you, you know it didn't really look that way Leclerc also aided by the fact that because the gap was there he, he wouldn't have had the visibility the spray problem um, but yeah after that once the tyres were up to temperature and especially at that point it's like a it's like a it's like Ferrari is punished twice. The Red Bull gets faster on its own, and the Ferrari gets slower because Leclerc's, Leclerc's grip is gone. He's you know he, he's wrecked the intermediates effectively. Uh, but Verstappen totally in command. It's one of those unfortunate ways of of, of the way the modern TV coverage works is that you just you're never going to see as a dominant performance on on the camera because Verstappen was just gone. There was no point showing him. Um, and then he was actually sort of he was so quick it led to the part of the controversy at the end of the race because he crossed the line with four seconds left on the clock which to everyone's understanding including all the teams and including Red Bull which is one of the sharpest best run teams <laughs> if, if not the best run team in the paddock right they didn't tell Verstappen he was on his uh, well, sorry they didn't understand Verstappen was on his final lap when he was because he's halfway around he's quite he's taking the checkered flag but Red Bull haven't told him that until he's at the hairpin which is in well into the second sector because everybody's understanding is that it's the clock goes to zero when that happens that lap is completed and then there's another lap but now apparently according to the FIA with this three hour rule it's actually it's just when the clock hits three hours that's when the checkered flag comes out so the FIA are like no we did it correctly and it's like we well, didn't tell anybody that if the teams <laughs> the te- the teams are, the, are much smarter they are the smartest people right in the, in the whole thing this is why you get these scenarios where the technical rules are come up with and then the teams very cleverly try and find a ways around it around it it's the same with the sporting side of it right 
utter shambles there. You can't have a drive. Like imagine, you know, at Spa, when they take the checkered flag, they go into the pit lane, right? And they go, they, the, the marshals are on track. They turn them around and they send them up the pit lane, right? Imagine that had happened at Spa. Cars would be running out of fuel, unable to provide a fuel sample. What if there were marshals suddenly being sent onto the track? Things like that. It's an utter, utter shambles from the FIA. And it's not even the, that's not even the only shambles we're going to talk about on this podcast. <laughs> Yes, it was an omni-shambles today. Um, Luke, how did you look at Verstappen's performance today? Because he led the pack away, but it was clear that by the time the safety car had done those laps, the, the track was ready for intermediates. So if you are not leading the race and you've got that advantage of thinking, right, we're going to dive into the pits right now, we'll take our stop now. As the leader, you've got to do at least a one flying lap before you can you can pit. So he's immediately disadvantaged. But even though we saw others pit before him, Oh man, he still made it work today. What's, what's your analysis of Verstappen today? Yeah, it was remarkable. And it was just the way that he was so consistently pulling away at that second a lap. And yeah, Leclerc ran through his tyres way too quickly. Matir Benosso said after the race that he reckons that Leclerc was just attacking too hard and pushing too hard to try and cut that gap. But Max just kept eking it out and eking it out. And it meant that, yeah, by the time we saw the first drivers coming into the pits and making that switch to a fresh set of inters, they were running, say, sort of three seconds a lap quicker than him. But it was it was kind of immaterial by that point because, yeah, the, the guys who needed to come in hadn't. And he had such a buffer that he could have easily reacted if needed. So it was... Um, yeah, so I guess, okay, yeah, he did have that disadvantage in terms of that you can't be the first guy, but it also meant that he had such a buffer by the time that you were sort of maybe thinking about it. And he even came on the radio towards the end and said like, oh, are we are we not going to come in again? And it's, uh, yeah, it was uh, just a, a completely dominant display by him. And yeah, to finish 27 seconds clear of the field, I know, okay, with the clerk's penalty applied, it wasn't quite as big as that, but good as in a 28 lap race is just phenomenal. So I, yeah, hats off to him. I, I said on uh, on our work chat this morning, I think we're in for a Verstappen wet weather masterclass. And that's exactly what we got. Totally was. Leclerc was just nowhere behind him and was running second. So, Luke, tell us why Leclerc crossed the line second but wasn't classified second. Uh, Well, it all comes down to the final lap. And I guess in a little microcosm of this 2022 season, Leclerc had the chance to keep this title race going on to Austin and they threw it away. And it was a little error underbreaking. Uh, he was obviously had that close battle with Perez. It was going right the way on through the closing stages. It looked like though, yeah, Verstappen was going to cross the line first, the clerk second, Perez third. And with even with four points applied, that would have been fine to keep the title race going on to Austin. Verstappen had to win with the fastest lap. He didn't have fastest lap. That went to Joe Guanyu, his first F1 fastest lap. Well done to him. And uh, yeah, but it meant that we came down to the final lap. Perez was all over the back of Leclerc. They came into the breaking zone for the Casio triangle, that final chicane. Leclerc went in too deep, took to the runoff a little bit, cut the corner. Perez was quickly over the radio saying, hey, you can't do that. Then got squeezed out on the exit. So it meant Leclerc crossed the line first, but the stewards, they quickly said that he had left the track and gained an advantage. And they said that while he didn't gain a position, which is obviously the normal thing you would look at in terms of have you gone off track and gained an advantage. Uh, it was still an advantage nonetheless. They cited uh, Joe Guanyu in Saudi Arabia, Fernando Alonso in Miami, his previous instance that say this warrants a penalty. And it meant they could very quickly apply that five-second time penalty. So that's why Leclerc was demoted from second to third. And we had that rather awkward Park Ferme interview where Johnny Herbert turned to Max and said, ah, oh, you're world champion. And we were all like, wait, what? And just didn't understand what was going on for a second there. And um, yeah, but it was, it, was a, it was a mistake by Leclerc. He 
said afterwards, I'm fully accepting I deserve the penalty. Ferrari were less pleased about it. They said they accept the ruling, but they also feel that it's wrong that in Singapore, for example, it took them so long to make a decision about Sergio Perez's penalty. Matteo Bonotto said that if they'd ruled in race, similar to how they did with the clerk today in sort of that uh, that sort of quick time frame and turnaround, they could have done something different with the clerk's race. They could have said, right, you need to really, really push now. Do not let him get more than five seconds up the road if they knew that was all the penalty he was going to get. But uh, yeah, so I think there's a lot of questions Ferrari have for the FIA on that because they definitely feel there's a bit of inconsistency. In my tiny brain, they seem the same thing don't fall 10 places or car lengths behind a safety car like that's measurable and specific it's not vague it's a measurable specific whether you want to use the length of a mercedes safety car or the length of a formula one car also don't gain a lasting advantage now you could argue that perez was never going to overtake him at that chicane he was never it wasn't like that the move was on whereas last week they're inviting red bull and perez up to argue their case and they said well yeah but perez did remind us it was wet out there and you're like, you, you needed him to remind you it was wet. And yet within a few seconds, the penalty came through for Ferrari. Where I become frustrated is that leads social media and the discussion about the sport we all love into a very negative place of, oh, well, Red Bull, it's fixed to give Red Bull the title, which is nonsense. But it's frustrating to see those comments. It's one of those almost enduring problems in this particular in this, in this particular sport, the sport of motorsport, in terms of having to have things officiated. In this particular sport, you get all sorts of different scenarios. You get an overtake on the outside of one corner and there's an incident is officiated slightly differently because the corner's at slightly different angles. There's various things there. There might be a wall on the outside. There might be gravel traps, whatever. That's where, unfortunately, an element of there is always going to be inconsistencies creeps in, right? Because that that is just the nature of it. Things are always, they're never going to be exactly the same in every scenario. However... What happened today is an example where Formula One and the FIA's officiating of it is just almost stupidly inconsistent. You're entirely correct, Martin. Why was Perez allowed to argue his case last week and Leclerc wasn't? And just for the record, because I know this was a very long discussion on the podcast this time last week, I have no problem with that. I would rather the right right outcome comes, even if that takes a little while when, oh no, you might have to find out from autosport.com that something's changed rather than it being on the TV coverage. So what? So long as the right thing happens, that's the most important thing. Here, yeah, what if they'd like, say, like, oh, there was a bird on, like, do you remember in Canada all those years ago, those, those seagulls on the racing line and, and, and Vettel was very upset that Lewis Hamilton had not braked for them or whatever. What if that had happened? What if Leclerc would be like, oh, but there was that thing. Okay, you ultimately wouldn't have changed it. But you know what I mean? It just doesn't, like, what, how can one suddenly be slapped in there with no uh, representation of the driver? If, you get, if, that, if that's how it's going to be, then just do it. Don't give Perez a chance to point out it was wet last week because it was obvious it was wet. He clearly broke the rules about three times. Like... What the hell was that all about? So yeah, that that I, I, I agree with that. As I said, there is always going to be an element of inconsistency in certain things, but the procedures, it just looks like, and we're going to come and talk about this in very, very more serious matters from this race, but from the outside perspective, it looks like the people who are supposed to be in charge don't understand what's going on. That is how it comes across. I completely agree. And I see that frustration online. And I don't like the sport that we love being accused of being, uh, you know, in a stitch up and what they want. You know, they don't like Lewis for whatever reason and they want Max to win, which is nonsense. They do bring it on themselves, though. Let's talk a little bit about just as we head further down. I thought there was some some really interesting things to talk about today, like Esteban Ocon holding off Lewis Hamilton 
Was that purely because it's Suzuka, or was it Ocon did a stellar drive and made his car wide, or was it the Mercedes power unit hasn't got the grunt? But that was a that battle lasted, I don't know how many laps, and Lewis couldn't find a way past Ocon finishing fourth, Hamilton fifth. Yeah, it was a really, really impressive drive by Ocon. And I think that for Alpine, it's a good sort of rebalancing of the scales and their fight against McLaren after obviously losing so much ground in Singapore. They've now made a big game back here with uh, Ocon and Alonso, both uh, well up in the points. But yeah, it was a really good drive from Ocon, I must say. Like He qualified very, very well on Saturday. And then come the race, yeah, obviously it's very tricky in conditions. Yes, it's Suzuka and everything like that. But it is, it's about like your car placement and things like that. And we saw that so many times with Perez and Leclerc, I think particularly going into the into the hairpin, that Leclerc would always take that slightly wider line that, and then Perez would try and sneak up the inside. But Leclerc knew that's where there was more grip. That's where there would be better car placement when I get through on the long run to Spoon then. So it was a similar kind of thing. And yeah, every lap we would see Hamilton was trying everything he could, getting close through Spoon. Then they would come on the straight going down to 130R and you would just see the Alpine start to edge away. And it's something that Mercedes straight line speed has always been a bit of a problem for them this season but this weekend George Russell said on Saturday it really would expose the weakness of the car in that regard because you need to run a pretty high downfall setup because of the S's and because of some of the tighter corners around Suzuka but other teams can kind of say well it's all right because yeah we've got the straight line speed enough that it's not too draggy and yeah we're gonna be okay but with Mercedes it's not the same so they said basically if it's a wet race and there's no DRS we're gonna really struggle to overtake anyone and that's exactly what we saw that's why every time Hamilton Mm. got close the Alpine straight line speed was just way too much and allowed Ocon to pull away again so yeah I think obviously a bit down to the weaknesses of the Mercedes but also full credit to Ocon for soaking up all that pressure for so many laps and coming home with a really good result that's the right ending there Luke Ocon absolutely brilliant like what what a great weekend performance fantastic in qualifying held it together in the in the really wet start at the standing start and the rolling restart and then held off probably one of the best wet weather drivers of all time in Lewis Hamilton okay not in a car that's particularly good in the wet and that is is down in terms of straight line speed because it's, it's got a very sort of it's, it's very draggy the nature of that W13 but yeah brilliant absolutely brilliant from Ocon and it's interesting I wrote my column after Singapore led on Sergio Perez but also talking about drivers that needed to put in some good performances before the end of the season and Ocon was one of them been firmly in Fernando Alonso's shadow all year I know the points uh, 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 table hasn't really shown that the results don't really show that because Alonso's had a lot of misfortune there's been a lot of unreliability at Alpine Alonso's had a few self-inflicted things for example crashing in Melbourne things like that but Ocon, so Ocon really needed to show his class. He's got Pierre Gasly now coming in next year. That's going to be, a, a you know, it, there's no shame in being beaten by an all-time great in Fernando Alonso, but that could be career-defining. Look at Daniel Ricciardo, career totally now redefined by what happened against Lando Norris at McLaren. What will happen to Ocon when Gasly comes on board? But actually, if, if I may, Martin, I also want to talk about Sergio Perez at this point, because mm. these were the two, this the, the, this race will be remembered for three things other than the rain and the FIA shambles. It'll be Max's incredible performance solo. It'll be the battle between Ocon and Hamilton, lap after lap after lap. Okay, yeah, also Vettel and Aston Martin making up um, for Vettel's, it was almost like, uh, into Lagos 2012 he just turned in and oh my god there's a car on the inside of me and now I've been knocked off like come on Sebastian great qualifying performance but you really ruined it there and and uh, but, but, but but got back and did very well to score points uh, with that with, with the taking the Inters early and Alonso typically a battling drive but the third really really like key takeaway for me in terms of looking back on the race is Leclerc and Perez 
And Perez, as I said earlier, like the rolling restart, he was three seconds behind Verstappen after one sector. Like, come on. Like, what's that all about? Look at the dry qualifying yesterday. He was 0.4 seconds away from the other car that got pole position. Both Ferraris ahead of him. Autosport, our social media team, we've, we've now started doing these amazing graphics that visualise the gaps, like to the finish line in terms of qualifying. Perez is behind both Ferraris. It's just like, it gets me frustrated because he was excellent in Singapore, right? But he's always been brilliant on street tracks. And then he came out and he was like, oh, it's because I'm Mexican that the media criticizing me. That's ultimately what it boiled down to, right? And they're not giving me enough credit. And it's like, that's so disingenuous, Sergio, because your gap to Max is the gap that got Alex Albon and Pierre Gasly fired from Red Bull. So like, also don't forget, it was Helmut Marco who made the comments about you maybe drinking tequila or whatever it was after the French Grand Prix and George Russell uh, passing you at the virtual safety car. Don't blame the media for something that's come out of your own team there. But here again, he was so far behind Verstappen. It's, you've got to point these things out. And it's not because it's a particular driver or because then they're a particular part of the world. I sound angry because I am angry. I hate that sort of, that biased perception that's constantly chucked our way by lazy, stupid people on the internet, right? It's nothing to do with that. We just got to point out what we see, right? That's our job to do. If it had been a 2021 championship, Perez's performance probably would have lost Red Bull the Constructors' Championship. As it happens, it doesn't matter. So he is doing a good job as the number two while they're winning titles. But as soon as they start losing titles, whether that be the drivers, unlikely, because Verstappen will still be leading the team. But more importantly, the Constructors, where the money is, that's going to be a serious problem. And this race has immediately, sort of, it's not undone all the good work from Singapore, but it's just shown you, this is the reality, is that Perez is nowhere near uh, Verstappen's level. But one final thing in terms of that that battle, and, and just, to, just to reinforce the point, is that I didn't think Perez showed much guile. It was doing the same thing lap after lap at the hairpin, going for the inside line, when Leclerc was clearly showing where the grip was on the outside line. At Spoon as well, you saw Hamilton was sort of varying his line, just trying different things. Perez was doing the same thing again and again and again, but ultimately got second place because that was so poor from Leclerc at the final chicane. You guys know this, I'm sure the listeners know this, the readers know this, I really rate Charles Leclerc. I think he's absolutely brilliant. And he's clearly the second best driver this season, but that was bad at the at the last at the last yeah. chicane. I really, I because I, 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 I don't know if, if we mentioned this at the start. I know we were chatting before we recorded, because it's my weekend off. I got, I, I, I decided I'm still so knackered after doing like a 24 hour day on Singapore Sunday, then flying halfway back across the world to get home. I'll have a nice lie in. I'll watch it as a fan. I got to, I got to scroll through most of the rain delay, and I was like, seriously, how is Verstappen champion? Because the Claire's still, oh, he's thrown it off the road. <laughs> right, I see, I there see what's go. happening there I see what's happened there yeah. and then ultimately that led to the to the utter shambles of is Max champion uh yes or no now of course that should never have happened because the procedures and everything should have been much much clearer from the FIA but if Leclerc had held it on the road it would have gone on to Austin yeah 100% although you know holding on by your fingernails uh, mathematical possibility all those kind of things but it was always going to be Max winning with five races left uh the world championship this year so let's let's just get it done and dusted uh, so thanks Charles Leclerc for giving us that closure he is now driving a much slower car like he can get close to them okay. qualifying, but it destroys yeah. its tires. The Red Bull is clearly quicker, which again emphasizes what a poor job Perez does it does with it compared to Verstappen. But also that you've got to consider that when you come to considering Leclerc's mistakes and things like that. So there is always a more rounded, uh, more rounded view of things. I guess so. But yeah, well done. I mean, when you look at the result today, multiple world champions in the top seven positions. But yeah, Max Verstappen coming home first, Lewis Hamilton fifth, Sebastian Vettel sixth, and uh, Alonso in seventh. That's a nice little top seven of world, uh, multiple world champions, we can now say. And uh, and some other standouts today, I thought Nicholas Latifi 
coming home ninth was a big achievement for the team as we say goodbye to Nicholas from Formula One this year. George Russell fought his way back up, didn't he? Uh, Vettel fought his way back up by going to the intermediates, uh, changing those uh, before anyone else really. Uh, and then Fernando, almost at the other end, left it till 10 minutes to go and had such a massive offset. And Lando coming home 10th for the first of the two. McLaren, shame Yuki couldn't get in the top 10. He was 13th. And I'm sure Pierre Gasly and Alpha Tauri will be looking looking up at Esteban Ocon's Alpine and thinking, oh, I'd rather be driving my next car uh, today. I don't want to spend too long on the rest of the grid because we've got some big, big, big FIA stuff to get into today. Luke, any other standout performances you want to mention or not? Uh, I think you pretty much nailed it there. Yeah, I think Latifi deserves, yeah, I think credit for bringing home a couple of points. And there was a point when I was wondering whether it might be one of these weird things where he finishes in the top 10, but if the race was shortened because of the, um, well, it wouldn't have actually been like that because of how we ended up learning the rules actually are, but whether it might be that, oh no, it's only the top eight or the top nine that get points. But uh, yeah, good couple of points for him. I will say though that he came out of the pits with Vettel and ended up 24 seconds behind Vettel. So it was quite a big gap between them True. at the end. But um, but yeah, I think still good couple of points. It's a nice sort of boost after a pretty miserable season for him as he goes on his way out of F1. And uh, I think also worth mentioning Lance Stroll's mega star. And Lance himself didn't have very much to say about oh, it afterwards. Yes. But <laughs> he was like a rocket off the line. It was crazy. Uh, yeah, go and watch, if you get a chance to watch any unboards, dear listener, uh, go and watch uh, the the start because it's one of those, I think it's one of those hero or zero. It's it's going down the pit wall and if someone veers into you, you're having a big shunt all the way uh, to the first corner. But he didn't and he just found the room and it just, I was watching going, go on, son, go on, son, cocky, how many more can you overtake? Uh, it was lovely, lovely to watch. All right, coming up on the podcast soon, we're going to talk a bit more about Max Verstappen and the way that he he won his, uh, that it was announced that he won his world championship. That is, I would say, cock up number one. And uh, cock ups, you know, numbers two to ten is what we saw in the wet. Uh, so those stories are on the way. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. All right, let's get back to the podcast now and let's get into this because I feel, I said this before we started recording, uh, before you joined us, uh, Luke, I feel a bit sorry for Max Verstappen. I don't really feel sorry for highly paid Formula One drivers, but in a way, I think that his first world championship, obviously the way it was won, and I think the second one, there was no, just the, 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 like, he'll take it, but the fanfare was totally messed up because... Everybody, when he crossed the line, thought we were heading to Austin. Why did all of F1, the teams, the drivers, the commentators, not understand that we were giving full points? It's to do with the rules following the Spa debacle. Can you, can you give us some more perspective and some more insight on that, please? 
Sure. So after Spa last year, there was a rejigging of the rules in terms of what number of laps you need to complete in a race for there to be points dished out because a lot of people rightly felt pretty miffed about the fast call race at Spa where we did two laps behind the safety car and they awarded half points to everybody. So it's it was something that was adjusted and the rules were tweaked, meaning that there were three columns created in terms of if, if you reach the minimum distance, then it's column one and points for the top five, column two points for the top nine, column three points for the top uh, 10, sort of on a sliding scale, basically, in terms of how much of the race you complete. But the way these rules were written actually led to some unintended consequences that resulted in what we had today. So basically, right the way through the race, with everybody, and this includes the teams, Ferrari, Red Bull, McLaren, they've all said it. They thought that, okay, well, we're not going to reach 75% distance required for four points. Therefore, it will be half points or something like that. So that was why we anticipated that Verstappen, we were just about getting over the half distance. So it was 52.8% of laps we completed today. That Verstappen would get 19 points for the win. We thought Leclerc, if, if he finished second, would get... 14 points for second and Perez would get 12 for third and even with the penalty applied to Leclerc and swapping him and Perez around that still would mean the title race would go on to Austin it would just Max would only be a point short but it still wouldn't have been enough and that was why there was such confusion when Johnny Herbert yeah called over Max and said hey you're world champion well done and it was sort of like a whoa hang on a minute and everybody when hang on F1's made a mistake here surely and they had the graphics going up and everything and it was noted that right the way through the race what Formula 1 was doing on the um, leaderboard on the left hand side of the TV screen it was showing the live points and how many points they were getting it still had 25, 18, 15, 12 as normal and loads of people said oh surely F1 should have fixed that by now and realised what was going on but actually F1 was bang on the money because the relevant regulation article 6.5 of the sporting regulations if a race is suspended in accordance with Article 57 and cannot be resumed, points for each title will be awarded in accordance with the following criteria. And then it does the breakdown. The key words in there cannot be resumed. Technically, this race was suspended after the two laps under the safety car. Uh, sorry, two laps to begin with before it was red flagged. It was then resumed and then it was never suspended again. We timed out. We hit that three hour time limit. But because it was never suspended again, that means that that regulation does not apply. Therefore, full points are awarded. And it does mean that had we had such a long rain delay that we were only able to get in, say, two or three green flag laps at the end before that three-hour time limit timed out, there would still have been full points, which is ridiculous. And everybody has said that's something that needs fixing in the future. Christian Horner, even he has said that it was a mistake and not something that they wanted to do with these regulations. But yeah, it just seems somehow that with all of the sort of brain power and everything and all of the work that everyone did to try and fix these points rules after what happened in Spa last year, there was this massive loophole that was left open and it's been exposed when settling the World Championship. <laughs> That's embarrassing. Frankly, embarrassing for the sport not for him to cross the line and for someone to say you are double world champion yeah I think Luke you, you summed it up perfectly there and Martin as well when you use the word embarrassing this 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 was embarrassing for Formula One and there's a there's a point I'm going to make in a, in, a, in a little while that, that relates to that and again how hard is this for the FIA seriously after what happened at Spa last year oh we've changed everything this is what it's going to mean this is where we're at unless this happens, unless this key one word is different. Like, come on. Like what? So there literally could still be a three lap fast. You didn't fix the whole problem at Spa. 
utterly, utterly ridiculous. And like going back a week again to the podcast you guys did after Singapore, Matt Q made the point that we've known about for quite a while in the paddock, but he's, he's starting to come out now. There is a big fight going on between Formula One and the FIA. They are really not happy with each other. And Formula, from Formula One's point of view, it's we have made this, and I mean the, the Formula One uh, management, ultimately the organisation ultimately owned by Liberty Media. They have made Formula One more popular, bigger, better, I know that's subjective, than it has ever been right now. And they are very annoyed that the FIA are constantly, in terms of the way things are going wrong like this, making it look amateurish and making it look bad. And this does make it look bad. Again, it's the same thing. The teams thought Max still had another lap to complete. The teams they thought that this is what their understanding was. They th- Christian Horner, whose man's just won the race, who's just been crowned world champion, saying, yeah, it's a mistake. It shouldn't be happening. And they had the opportunity to fix it and they still didn't. And the other thing is the communication. We learn from things like, do you remember the, the red flag, uh, the potential, sorry, <clears throat> Looking back to like Monza and the safety car ending there and the debate over whether it should have been red flagged, we then learned all the teams were asked, oh, should we implement that rule, that red flag rule? And they all went, no, actually, no, no, we won't. And it turned out they'd gone back to every race since 1998 and it's only happened on like 10 occasions. Why are they not telling people this? They've got all the facilities, they've got all the capabilities, they've got all the resources to go through every single incident that has caused such uproar in the last couple of years and go, right, this is what happened. This is what we're changing. And the next time it happens or something similar happens, this is what's going to happen. It's not hard. There's there's like a mm. three month off season. That's, you know, then you arrive at the next race, Bahrain next year, the start of the season. Here's this document. Here's this thing that all the media will report on. And it will end this, this farcical thing that keeps happening. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to get into this point later on when we come to talk about the really serious safety mess in this race, because it's not appropriate to do that. So I'm doing it now, but come on, just be better. And, and it, and it, and it's just not being done. And it doesn't, you've had a regime change in the FIA. Why is that that opportunity not led to making things better and to avoiding these situations. How does the FIA fix this communication problem? They just got to communicate. That's the thing. Like, it's it's something that you would have thought, in up with hindsight, in a perfect world, they would have communicated in the race and said to clarify, do that clarification that I've just run through in terms of why it does still run to full points instead of half points or any other sort of denomination. And that's something that, yeah, I think they'll probably look back and say, oh, yeah, we should have done that. I think there was also a feeling that that responsibility maybe lay a bit with the teams as well but the teams were just as in the dark this is something that i actually flagged with relation to the tractor incident the fia when mohammed ben saliem took over as president of the fia he said about transparency and change of regime and a, a new era and things like that and that transparency is stuff like this where you're like where where is it? And I actually I actually got messaged by someone who works at FI saying, oh, I take issue with that a little bit. That we are, we are transparent and we're doing what we can. And it's like we still have questions and it still needs explaining. And it's stuff like, yeah, we're going to get onto everything with the vehicle on track. But with that whole situation, yeah, it's this has descended into something 
that, yeah, it shouldn't have been this way. It should have been, we have this massive sort of explosion and say, ah, oh, this driver is world champion. It should have been that, yeah, similar to the, is that Glock moment at Brazil in 2008 or yeah, even Crofty's mm. commentary at the end of last year when he said, oh, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's going Dutch in, in 2021 or whatever. And someone said, oh, I, I bet he had double Dutch written down on his commentary notes to say when Max crossed the line yeah. to win the championship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is, but it is stuff like that. And it, it should be yeah. exciting. It should be the F1 can plaster this everywhere and say look we've got this amazing moment that happened that Max Verstappen he's won this championship it was going to happen but he won it because of a mistake on the final lap and it was really really exciting and that that goes everywhere but instead all of the headlines are Verstappen wins second title in bizarre circumstances or confusing circumstances and stuff like that so I think there just needs to be yeah, we need, there needs to be more communication. There, there, there always does. And I know that the FIA, like their their commerce department is growing, for example. So hopefully it's something that will sort of continue and further as things go on. But yeah, I just think on all fronts, we need a sort of more of an understanding in terms of what's going on because today it's not been good for FIA. It's not been good for F1. And ultimately a second world title has been won by Verstappen, but it's not going to get the kind of headlines that it should be. Just very quickly on how to solve, at least partially solve some of the FIA's comms problems, get the race directors back facing the media, like Michael Massey used to do, like Charlie Whiting used to do. The reason the reason why they they took that away was because of everybody going in on Massey after the, the Abu Dhabi farce, as, they, as, they, as in, in some ways they should have done because he did make, you know, it, it was a ridiculous situation in awful, horrible death threat ways not acceptable but just yep. this whole thing about transparency right they literally took away one of the elements that made it more transparent and they refused to bring it back because i think i believe my but the explanations i've had when i've asked about it at the faa is well you don't interview the referee after a football match no but you know that's because it's a relatively simple game compared to something where we're, we're not even talking about the cost cap and the the, the potential you know for, for for things to go wrong there and for blatant cheating and things like that let alone the, the you know the, the technical complexities of the cars and the the, the sporting so the range of things that can happen under the sporting rules as well so yeah bring that back at the very least or just if, if you don't want to, if you don't want to make it the race directors there are other people above those guys in the chain of command make them available and at least that's just a little bit more transparency because Ultimately, it just looked like they've just shut the gates that little bit more. And that hasn't changed since uh, since Abu Dhabi 2021. All right, so let's get into it then. Let's talk safety. So the race was started and it was wet. The big incident really was Carlos Sainz aquaplaning off in his Ferrari. So getting along the barriers, uh, tearing off some of the advertising hoardings, which ended up on the racing line and was collected by Pierre Gasly. They shouldn't be falling off the tyre walls. They just It just seemed to peel away so easily. Either way, Carlos Sainz skidding along, coming back onto the track just off the racing line, but at 90 degrees to the cars approaching, in wet conditions, with spray and with zero visibility. So you don't know you're about to hit him, T-bone him, until you're on top of the accident. So that was horrific. I've seen the offboards that people upload afterwards to social media uh, from the stands, and 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 that's a really horrible angle to see because he does come back on, and there's the cars are quick, but they can't see a thing. You're just following the car in front in that spray, just hoping you don't hit anything. So because of that, safety car, red flag. Pierre Gasly pits, obviously, because he's got an advertising hoarding wrapped around his front wing. And when he comes back onto the track, is driving perhaps a little bit too fast. It's a separate issue to catch up the back of the pack. By that point, someone had made the decision to put a tractor onto the circuit. 
Now, the Japanese marshal shouldn't be doing that without race control. The clerk of the course will speak Japanese, so it's not as if it's a language barrier problem. The reason why this uh, Formula One today, the, the Formula One drivers, teams, observers, commentators, idiots like me, are so angry about this is because if you've been following Formula One more than you know five minutes, and by the way, that's not a badge of honour. If you've just discovered Formula One this weekend, you are as much as a fan of someone who's been to every race for the last 40 years. Okay, you're a fan, you're a fan, you're a fan, in my opinion, and you are allowed to have an opinion. If you are new because of maybe Netflix or something and you can't quite understand the full anger today about this because safety now in Formula One is so, so much improved. The idea of a driver... Dying in Formula One, uh, for many fans, would, would, would be alien because we've seen those big incidents over the past few years where drivers have walked away. A tractor on track in the rain with no visibility, with aquaplaning, even if you're doing you know 40 kilometres an hour in a Formula One car, you could aquaplane. It, it, you know, arguably, the slower you go, the colder your tyres get, and there's no doubt, there's no aero, right? So day in, day out, Formula One fans that were watching TV on the day, you know, in Spa, in F2, when Antoine Hubert was T-boned at the top of Eau Rouge. That is a dark day in motorsport. When, at this circuit, eight years ago, this weekend, Gilles Bianchi followed Adrian Sutil into into an accident and they'd put a tractor on track to rescue one car when his car went underneath that and he died of head injuries. We don't talk about day in, day out. We don't talk about Ayrton Senna and Roland Ratzenberger dying at the same weekend because that would be weird if we talked about it every weekend. But particularly those that have watched a Grand Prix where you turn it off and it's a sporting event and you realise someone's lost their life. That's horrible. And it sticks It sticks with you. And today they put a tractor on a race course where cars are going round at speed in the wet with no visibility and with aquaplaning. And we were lucky not to have exactly the same accident. Jules Bianchi's father did an Instagram post earlier just with his disgust at seeing that. And all the drivers were were disgusted and all the teams were disgusted. Everyone in Formula One was disgusted, apart from the FIA, who seemed to be more concerned that the drivers were going too quick, blamed everyone but themselves, and then afterwards said, well, we will investigate it because we investigate all things. And also because the drivers seem brought this to our attention. Almost like they're reluctantly. What do you think? Were the FIA, who are the ones that are the, the judge, jury and executioner, will they find themselves guilty? A bit like the Massey disaster at the end of last year? No. I'll shut up now and hand over to Luke. What did you make of today? Eesh, yeah, it's a... It's the kind of thing that, to quote Daniel Ricciardo, after Suzuka 2014 was a big no-no. They never wanted to see a tractor on on the circuit again recovering a car like that, especially not in wet conditions, especially not when cars are aquaplaning and things like that. It's something that, yeah, is it's happened. It happens every now and then at races. I think we saw at uh, Monza, for example, when Daniel Ricciardo's car was being recovered, that a crane had to cross the circuit and was then, um, yeah, moving his car out of the way. And even then, some fans saying, oh, that's quite unsettling because... And that's with the cars going past behind the safety car at a slow speed in dry conditions. In the wet, though, and this is something that so many of the drivers raised, it literally, it's the choice of, do I sit either directly in this guy's wheel tracks of the car in front of me and I can't see a thing? Or do I think, okay, I better sort of dip out a little bit and yeah, move to one side so I can get a bit of visibility, know where I'm going. You do that 
and there's a stationary vehicle there and you don't see it then yeah that's that's came over which is it's it's really really terrifying and un- unsettling that these guys yeah they risk their lives week in week out to do what they love and for this amazing sport to be what it is and things like this need to be clamped down on they it needs to be it shouldn't have happened it shouldn't have happened it's as simple as that and it's the fact that the FIA do need to go through their processes and look at sort of what what happened like how on earth was that call given the power for a recovery vehicle to be sent out onto the track and for marshals to be on the track that only lies with the race director so how was that decision taken why did Eduardo Freitas say yep get that vehicle out and go for it and to also listen to the drivers and understand this and it's something that George Russell said after the race they spoke about on Friday in the drivers briefing they spoke about cranes on track vehicles on track when Yuki Tsunoda's car was recovered in Singapore I think it was a similar kind of thing and again they raised this as a oh okay yeah we don't really like that again that was in damp greasy conditions very easy to make a mistake and I think that I think there's something that yeah we just need some answers on because it's um it's unsettling and I think the FIA's initial statement that kind of just said oh these are sort of the facts in terms of what happened was a bit it didn't really add anything and it didn't sort of say like we're aware like we're we're looking at what happened the investigation into Gasly speeding is really a separate issue to be honest and it's something that I think again you could talk about at length but the fact is that yeah Gasly he was he was clearly very shocked very upset rightly so about the near miss that he had and just because he was speeding behind the safety car sorry just because he was speeding under a red flag as judged by the stewards after passing that crash site does not mean that there's any justification or it doesn't it shouldn't be at all that he sort of like blamed for anything that happened there or whatever all of those drivers went past that crash site all in the similar conditions Gasly at a quicker speed because he was on his own obviously so yeah I just hope we get some answers I really do because I think it's something that we on all weekends as well to be back at Suzuka it's it's left a lot of discomfort with a lot of people I think everyone everyone who watched that race fans teams drivers they want some real answers because the FIA it puts so much on its commitment to road safety and safety and motorsport and stuff and Formula 1 as you said Martin has come such an incredibly long way and it's really really something they should be very proud of but also when things like this happen it needs to be taken with the utmost seriousness and to be fully understood and fully investigated because we never want to see it again as i mentioned earlier not going to bring up the sort of politicking side of things it's also not right to be sort of heated and try and be flippant about things purely because of that list of names you read out martin it's not it's not funny it's not a hot take to be talking about to be talking about safety but that is you know it is our job to to raise certain points so i'm going to raise certain points Let's go back to the aftermath of the science crash and Gasly picking up that advertising hoarding. That in itself is is shocking. That should not be happening at all. Um, I covered Formula E for many years and I'm fairly sure I'm right in saying they literally, it's almost like an adhesive that they put on all the walls. They literally stick on their sponsors' logos so that if a car hits it, it's, you've got this, like, these like strips that hang off the cars. Why has Formula One not done that? Like, like seriously? Now, it, it might, if it's like a if it's like a um, a recycling thing, I don't I don't imagine those things being stuck on the walls. If you've got to change it year after year, I don't think that's that might not be particularly environmentally friendly. But it's certainly safer than an advertising hoarding blocking a driver's vision when he can't see anyway. So that's one thing to think about. The other thing is the spray. 
there's a lot of talk about the tyres at this race. You know, what's the point in having the full wets if the driver's going straight onto winters as soon as the race has restarted? Again, there's an element of like, do we, you know, is it worth building new tyres, flying them all around the world if it's going to be once in a blue moon that they're used? Things like that. There's, there's, there's obviously a, a well-rounded view on looking at that. But with these new cars, now I'm not, I'm not an aerodynamicist. I just, I, 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 I call things as I see them and as how I am, how things are explained to me. But my understanding with the ground effect cars is that to make the racing better, the air is thrown higher and wider to allow the cars to run closer together. Now you can, you can see that there is a visual representation of that when they're in the wet. So, and I think it's been said by several drivers that the spray the feeling is it's slightly worse with these new cars. So maybe that's something that needs to be looked at or at least understood. And then if there's no fixing that in terms of the way the cars are designed, then it's got to make procedures have got to change elsewhere. In terms of the tractor and Gasly, there are two things that we can say were wrong at the same time. Gasly was wrong to be going that fast at any point as you're trying to catch the back of the pack because he passes red flag boards. Then he is penalised later on for going quickly. All drivers are pushed on to try and catch the back of the safety car things like that. I'm not, this isn't, don't take it as me criticising Pierre Gasly totally, but there was a lot of like, I think there was on the Sky coverage, as I said, I, I watched it a lot later in the day. You know, they were, they were analysing what he was doing and, they, and, and and it is right to say that he probably was going too quickly in terms of the way the race had been suspended. But the main thing that underpins everything I've just said is that tractor, that crane should never have been on the track in those circumstances. That's a shocking thing to have happened, to have happened at that track in those conditions, that's really, 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 really bad. That's just un- it's just unbelievable to think that that could happen again. And it almost adds sort of weight. I know, again, I'm, I'm bringing in another issue here, but thinking back to Monza and the safety car ending and should the race have been red flags? Well, there was a tractor, as Luke said, there on the track, even though it was in dry conditions. I'm pretty sure I watched the replay. One car warming up its tyres did get pretty close to that tractor. And even if they're going at slow speeds, it's still a massive risk to a driver's health in the dry to hit like a vehicle like that red flag it and 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 if if tractors have got to be sent out send them out only when the cars are all off the track is that not the only way of doing it it's really hard it's a really emotional issue for many many people because of the horrors that have happened even recently if we consider you know 2014 and, and all of that so yeah, it's 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 nothing to be flippant about, but it just it can't happen again. And there needs to be some real accountability and better communication and better explanation of why it happened. When we head to Austin, mm. should the FIA not call a press conference and say, here's the explanation of what happened. Here's how we're going to try and make sure it doesn't happen again. It's like, okay, it's not hard. Just explain what happened. Make sure it doesn't happen again. Adjust your, adjust your, uh, your procedures, your rules. Because I think like, there's a lot of like, oh, well, this should happen and this should happen, this should happen. Like everything evolves. Just make sure you're evolving the right way and explain it properly. It seemed to me, and it might just be me, the lack of contrition that it took condemnation from Formula One. And, and you know, again, for our listeners, as a reminder, you know, Formula One, the rights holder, the FIA, the governing body, two very different things. And it seemed like half no or 99% of the sport which is formula 1 saying this is just awful and rather than the FIA immediately saying goodness you're right we will 
completely look into that. It was a case of, well, Gasly was going too fast. Like, that was what we had during the race. And that is a, a separate issue. And then afterwards, it was a case of, well, we are going to investigate it, but only because it had concerns raised to us. Like, Am I being a little too harsh on them, Luke? Or do you think no, I'm kind of fair no, I being think a the, bit... The, um, man, I, just want, I just want them to be sorry. <laughs> like, it's crazy. Yeah, I think the, the op- optics... I think it's the way you would word it. It's uh, it's not great. Yeah, it doesn't look good at all <laughs> if you have that instant happen and then everyone's going, whoa, this this scary thing has happened. Like I was first flagged to it. It was a friend who works at AlphaTauri message saying, God, like try and find Pierre's on board if you can, because it is terrifying. Like it's, it's not cool. And then slowly, obviously, yeah, people got on F1 TV and they see it and it got out in the world. And, and yeah, I think that it's not great when, yeah, that happens and everyone's talking about it. And then sort of the main communication we get from the FIA is um, sort of just explaining sort of here are some facts in terms of like, oh, we called the red flag at this point and then this driver went past this vehicle. And then getting the very standard stewards message saying instant under investigation relating to Gasly speeding, which, as Alex rightly says, the two separate issues completely. And I think that, yeah, we do obviously want that accountability. I think during a race, obviously, yeah, it is in terms of the stewards have got to focus on the race at hand and things like that. And I guess there's only sort of so many people in terms of sort of resources and things like that. But I think the, yeah, we, it just wasn't a great look from the FIA that that was kind of the first thing that came back from them, that it wasn't a case of, um, yeah, just sort of saying, look, we've seen this thing and we, we've noted it and we've understood it. So I think it's, it's a tricky one. It is because obviously there is a sort of a live race going on and, it's very hard to react to these things sort of ASAP in real time with all the facts and everything like that. But with something like this, yeah, there's just no, there's no excuse for it. And there's no reason why that crane should have been on the circuit because it's, it's just, yeah, ridiculous. So I think, no, you're, you're right in what you're saying, Marcel. I think you're yeah right. And I think fans are correct to feel upset about this. And I think that it is now a case of how does the FIA respond because again we've had a year of oh it's the new regime and we want transparency and we want and everything how does that work in practice do we actually see a proper sort of like openness and saying right we've done a full investigation these are the results of what we found this is what we know happened this is why the decision was taken and this is what we've learned from it because yeah i think that's 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 what we need that's what we want to get out of this and uh yeah as alex said like it'd be good if at the next race they say right Here's the race director. He's going to explain to you guys what happened. Um, yeah, the late, great Charlie Whiting, I'm sure would have done that. And I, I'm so glad that I was in F1 when he did his post-race media sessions because he would he would not sort of dive around the big issues. He would talk about the important subjects. And he was so sort of, yeah, just so trustworthy and so solid on stuff like that. Sorry, to come back to your question, I think completely right to feel aggrieved by what <laughs> happened and it's now really down to the reaction from the FIA. Oh, well, let's hope that that is something that we get. Now we have a short break and two more double headers to go with the World Championship decided. Still plenty of the Formula One uh, season remaining and, and still lots of storylines to get into. And I hope, we really hope, um, that just the sport we all love being shown in a more positive way is, uh, uh, is perhaps one of the outcomes of that. But there we go. That was... Uh, Uh, perhaps more difficult topic today that none of us particularly wanted to talk about but um, uh, I think we got there in the end now it's your turn we'd love to hear from you you can email this show podcast at autosport.com that is podcast at autosport.com love getting your emails uh, by the way and uh, I know these guys on Twitter uh, like to hear from you as well and uh, and uh, and how you saw things thank you very much for listening to the podcast today and we'll catch you on the next one 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. The Just Because Deal. Hey, oh, what's this? Breakfast from Mickey D's. From me? Yep. Why? Because it's morning and you like McDonald's. Let's eat while it's hot. There's a deal for every act of kindness at McDonald's. You don't need a reason when the one and only hot and melty sausage McMuffin with egg is just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.